Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Santos here, your neighborhood friendly pediatric infectious disease doctor and researcher. And this is Praz the Sandman, releasing your inhibitions, erasing your memories, and responsible for over 2 million YouTube videos since (laughs) the last 10 years. (laughs) I actually love those videos, especially with little kids who are coming down off of general anesthesia right they're, you're they're welcome so much fun oh yeah that's endless, <laughs> yeah, endless life do you remember that video david oh, after yeah, drunk. yeah yeah is is this real life <laughs> <laughs> i love that one so much yeah, yeah, welcome yeah. to my life uh, every single day not personally but seeing other people do it yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely perfect that we were talking about this before we started recording, because it actually does tie into our topic. We're going to cover something that we have not gotten around to for probably far too long, which is, of course, dentistry. The flip side of medicine, the tails to our heads. The head, wouldn't dentistry be the heads? The subject's actually getting a little long in the tooth. Oh, did I bite off more than I could chew? (laughs) I think we need to extract that part of... (laughs) So we could go on for a while, but the truth is, for whatever reason, anatomy and physiology, that first year of medicine when we learn everything, we get this great demonstration. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the head, here's the brain, here are the eyes, here are the ears, and here's the neck and the jaw. These things we don't talk about. Moving on, here's the chest. (laughs) That's all we ever hear. I swear. Look to either side of you. That yeah. person won't be there at the end of the year, yeah. like all these other things that we're not going to cover. It'll never be spoken of again. Yeah. They're just disappearing. They're just gone. But, 
And it's and, and it's absolutely true. I think it's because these are very specialized organs, the gums and the teeth, and we leave it to another profession to to really learn that organ very very well. As usual, it is only appropriate that we bring in someone who knows what they're talking about, a veritable expert, if you will, somebody who I have had the privilege of knowing for several years. She completed a residency at UCSF, a master's in oral biology at UCLA. She is board certified and completed dental school at UIC. Is enamored of enamel, the terror of tartaric acid, the master of miniature mouths, <laughs> Wendy. <laughs> running down an aisle with like my hands up in the air and stuff. I am actually. Can't see when it. there's trouble, you call DW. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dr. Wendy for sure. Felt a little Darkwing Ducky in. <laughs> Of course, now all I'm going to be able to think of is DuckTales for the rest of the episode. Hey, DW! Yeah. <laughs> I was American Board of Pediatric Dentistry. Oh, even better! Right? Little people in special needs. I can definitely relate. To which part of that? <laughs> Listen, we're going to move on from that, Josh. <laughs> oh, you didn't even give him an opening for that. Before we get into all the questions, you know, I have to go into a little bit of the history, especially when it touches on one of what you are all quickly learning is another of my favorite historical periods. Santosh, would you care to take a guess? And no, it is not Victorian London, although we will get there. What? <laughs> it is not. We're going a little before Victorian England. Uh, walk like uh, walk like ancient. an Egyptian. Nice. So back to ancient Egypt. So the oldest records of dentistry, including details for treatment of toothache, infections, loose teeth, are spread throughout the Ebers Papyrus, the Cahoon Papyrus. That's not the big Kahuna, just the Cahoon. The Hearst Papyrus, the Edwin Smith. All of them have scattered references to different dental procedures, which shows you that tooth care goes all the way back and that it was not tooth uncommon. <laughs> now, some of these, I didn't research that fact just so I could make that pun. I don't know if I believe that. Egyptians came up with some of the earliest versions of braces where they bound replacement teeth together with gold wire. The Code of Hammurabi referenced dental extraction twice as it related to punishment. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. Right? Yeah, so yeah. Is... Oh, yeah. My husband would still feel like it's like punishment. <laughs> <laughs> but the first historical mention of really more specific tooth care than that even predates a little bit ancient Egypt and all its various papyri. They were going over even earlier accounts from Sumeria in Mesopotamia. And this is interesting because there is a legend has apparently lasted far longer than it should have, and that is the legend of the worm, first found on a Mesopotamian Sumerian tablet, you know, kind of like the Book of the Dead from Army of Darkness. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And this legend of the worm recounts how parasites eat the blood and drink the bone of teeth, causing cavities and inflammation of the mouth and gums. This belief that there is a tiny little worm that eats into your tooth and causes disease persisted from ancient Sumeria and ancient Egypt all the way up until about the 1700s. It That's a didn't long disappear, time. right? We're talking about 6,000 years. I was going to say, I've actually, so on some of my trips, I've gone to Guatemala and Honduras and stuff. Some of those areas actually still believe in those. 
on this story. When we try to talk about why dentistry is important and why we need to do treatment or anything like that, some of them actually believe that there is still a worm in the mouth that's doing things like this. So, Is there something that you see or something that makes it look like a worm when you look at tooth decay? Not so much when you're looking at tooth decay, but the nerve actually can look like a worm. Hmm. not yet necrotic so necrotic meaning that it's kind of died off because usually by the time it's dying off and you're feeling all the pain and whatnot it's kind of disintegrated at that point so it's just this big pile of mush oh gotcha before that when when you take a look at it it looks more like this little squiggle like a little wiggly worm oh so if if you have enough decay that the, you can the root is exposed the nerve is exposed but not mm-hmm. so much decay that that has died it almost looks like there's a worm burrowing its way through your tooth or even just sticking its head out a little bit <laughs> oh that is the grossest slash awesomest thing all right. I got to step back for a moment. I don't know if you guys remember, but I have this weird thing about teeth. I have a weird yeah. thing about other things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Lots of things. You're going to be more specific there. Yeah. <laughs> but, the but ocean, clowns, teeth, yeah. <laughs> I got to just pause for a moment because if you think back way back to our first season, our Under the Sea episode, where we learned that under significant amounts of pressure in scuba diving, your teeth could just go ahead and pop right out of your head yeah, yeah. and explode. Yeah. I had nightmares for almost a week <laughs> uh, after researching that. I remember, I remember Dr. Ward was talking to us about hyperbaric medicine using high pressures in order to treat. And, and you can get an air bubble that slips wow. under your gums and into the root canal. And then that can expand under changes in pressure and blow the tooth up from the inside yep and your fillings and all that could pop out as well too oh thank you let's add oh great thanks let's add to your nightmare right? <laughs> i hope no one's going scuba diving anytime soon no, no. <laughs> over the course of the rest of this discussion i just want everyone to keep in mind that this is not normal and that teeth are bones that grow out of your face. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's your skeleton from your body. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I've said it. <laughs> this is just purely from my memory, but I had a master's class at UCLA, and they were talking about the biology of teeth and how in the prehistoric times there were actually animals that had dentin and like tooth structure on the outside. So it was actually enamel and all that, the shield for their skin, for their body. Mm-hmm. And as things progressed, it kind of moved toward the facial area and then went into the mouth. And so that's kind of like the remnants. That's why it's so similar to like bone and why it's so hard and all that. Well, so there were potentially creatures covered in tooth. Yeah. Oh. What? In most cases, teeth evolved from scale-like epidermal, meaning skin structures, mm-hmm. the odontodes, mm-hmm. which migrated into the mouth after enough mutations. This process is visible in go. modern sharks, which have placoid scales on the skin, which means that their scales look like mini teeth. So that's not a coincidence that their scale look like teeth. They are covered in teeth. That is awesome. This is the stuff of nightmares. I'm so happy. This is fantastic. Let me uncurl from this corner briefly. Josh, we have to to finish the podcast. The listeners need you. It's the tooth and nothing but the tooth.
Get in the tooth, Josh. Clearly. <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't be able to handle the tooth if the tooth was the whole thing. <laughs> like if it was Nothing just a giant tooth. tooth. All right, all right. You know what, guys? I need to calm myself down. All right, so we're gonna take us back to the 1700s. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. With, with Victorian the English. Very, the very first dentist mm. was in France, or oh. at least the first modern dentist, Pierre Fauchard was a French surgeon who is credited as the father of modern dentistry. He actually was the first one to really put together a book describing all the many different diseases and conditions exclusively of the mouth. He called it The Surgeon Dentist, A Treatise on Teeth, and he put together a whole system for caring and treating for just mouth hygiene alone. This is different from most other medical books and treatises of the day, which would go over the entire body but gloss over certain areas about which there wasn't much knowledge. He identified that acids from sugar led to tooth decay. He pioneered the use of dental prostheses like dentures, and he came up with a lot of different methods to replace lost teeth. Uh, substituting false teeth that were made from carved blocks of ivory or bone. He also rediscovered, compared to the Egyptians, braces. Although initially they were made of gold, as we learned, he found he was the first to discover that teeth position could be corrected as teeth would follow the pattern of the wires like a little train track. Ooh. And instead of gold wire, he used wax linen or silk threads. So that was in France. In America, dentistry was didn't really get started till the 1840s. That's when you had the first dental college in the world, thanks to a couple of dentists who, again, were really self-trained. There wasn't a standardization of care. And those were two gentlemen named Chapin Harris and Horace Hayden, which, oh, if that's not an 1840s name, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people walking around. Not a lot of those walking around. These two guys went up to all the doctors at the College of Medicine in Baltimore, University of Maryland. And they said, hey, why don't we start like specializing in the mouth as well as all the other areas like the heart and the stomach and the liver? It's its own separate area of study. And it's a mechanical challenge. It deserves status as a profession. And we want to standardize it across the country. And all the doctors looked long and hard at them. And they said, nope. <laughs> this is this is a really bad history that medicine has is that there were a lot of things which were like you said josh just glossed over because we don't get it at the time and we don't care to try and since you're trying to add knowledge to our field from outside our profession we reject you and this has changed a lot i'm proud to say in more recent times but we were dealing with this up till like the 1900s this event is remembered as the historic rebuff part of what led to the separation even today of medicine and dentistry now wendy did they ever cover the historic rebuff when you went to school like did they say at one point, good old Horace and Chapman tried to legitimize our profession way earlier. Those like, doctors thought they were better than us. <laughs> what, if anything, were you told about this? Horace sounds so familiar because, you know, it's just the most fantastic name. And, um, <laughs> you know, I don't remember any of these. I think through dentistry, maybe they were like, we don't need to talk about this. Well, there's a few of these where the professions, you know, there was a chip on the shoulder for a while and then... But, uh, Josh, it sounds to me a little bit like 
because this discipline and this study kind of came from surgery, which was seen as apart from medicine for a very long time. In fact, it's in our old Hippocratic Oath, we shall not pick up the knife of the butcher nor the surgeon. The cutting of the human body was for a long time thought to be the purview of barbers and butchers. That's the two professions. Mm -hmm. So a doctor would say, okay, I'm going to do everything that I can with my physic, which was the, the potions and poultices and liquids and medicines of the time. And then when I say, oh, I can't do anything about it, you got to cut it off, you'd send them to the butcher or the, the uh, barber. Well, dentistry was mostly in the background because given the severity of tooth pain and the fact that teeth have always held a very special symbolic status, they've had these magical powers associated associated (laughs) with them, you know, St. George bringing up soldiers from dragon's teeth. And unlike traditional bone, which stays in your body as it's supposed to, uh, teeth, teeth don't regrow, teeth don't fuse. They're inert, as by and large. They seem to be almost dead, and so mostly no one really bothered with it. Medicine gave up on teeth and just said, eh, someone else can deal with that. And that's why barbers would pull teeth, they'd lance abscesses, right after they finished trimming whiskers. You know, We see a lot of special needs kids, too. And a lot of them, you know, especially autism, have trouble with going to see, you know, the, the barber or, you know, getting their hair cut. And one kid, the mom was just like, you know, since you're seeing him already getting the getting his teeth done, can you guys just cut his hair? And so (laughs) (laughs) one of my co-residents was awesome and you know So did you put up a red and white striped pole like the barbers of old? No blood. No blood was drawn. Well, so that brings us actually to a really interesting point. And you said you work with special needs kids and kids in general. How is pediatric dentistry different from adult dentistry? Is it just mini mouths? Is it shark teeth? Here we go. I like to think it's kind of like a faster, smaller version of general practice. So a lot of people think that pediatric dentistry is just kids, but it's kids and special needs. So we do actually have some patients that are older that we see. So, you know, when you graduate from dental school, you can technically do everything, but everything that you do is held to the standard of that specialty practice. So for example, example, if you're going to do braces, you're going to be held to the standard of the specialty for orthodontics. Sure. So as far as pediatric dentistry goes, I feel like we get more training with behaviors, with dealing with kids and, and parents, <laughs> training on sedation. So we go through an anesthesia rotation as well, too. So could you give Absolutely. us a little uh, dentistry is the study of, so you do teeth, gums, do you go down to the jaw? We were always taught by the mentality that we deal with the head and neck. Got you. So when we did anatomy, we actually did the body, mostly the head and neck. We spent most of our time there, but we went all the way down to the hips. And then we pretty much stopped there, like hips just a little bit below the hips. But there are definitely parts of that time that I was like, why are we So you, on top of learning how the adult teeth are set into the jaw and how it interfaces with gum tissue and the rest of the face, Mm -hmm. you also learned the developmental biology of how baby teeth will erupt and then grow, fall out, 
and how adult teeth will come in behind it. And so I'm guessing you had to deal with a lot of the understanding of, is it okay if the teeth falls out early, if it falls out late, if the, if the adult tooth comes in behind the, the, the baby tooth, which is what's happening to my shark child right now. It just kind of depends on every school. My school specifically to University of Illinois, Chicago, clinically, we were awesome. We saw so many patients had the specialty programs as well, too. Pediatric dentistry, perio, which is dealing with the gums. They had oral surgery, you know, pretty much every specialty we had as well, too. But yet when they knew that you were interested in something, you were given the chance to do a little bit more, which is kind of cool. So they knew that I was interested in pediatric dentistry, so I got to see some of the harder kids. Like, I didn't have to refer them to... Oh, that's so cool. Once you're in residency, though, you really do learn a lot and a lot about not just their baby teeth, but their behaviors, growth and development, craniofacial, kind of a little bit of everything, I guess. So dealing with as far as shark, we definitely did hear that a lot. That's actually one of the most common emergencies. (laughs) Your kid is fine. Go home. Exactly. (laughs) But they have this thing called anticipatory guidance, which is each time you see someone, you're thinking ahead like, oh, in the next half a year or next six months or next year, these are some of the things that you might come across. And so when they happen, don't worry, you don't need to come in. Like, that's totally normal. Dr. Wendy, there are bones erupting from my child's face. (laughs) (laughs) That's the normal teeth. There's multiple bones, multiple rows of bones erupting. (laughs) So what are the most common dental diseases? What are people largely coming to you for? I mean, I, I have to say that this is a little bit different for me just because I am specifically pediatrics, but a lot of times dentistry in general, so you have disease of the teeth and disease of the things that hold your teeth in. Disease of the teeth meaning like cavities, and then disease of the things holding your teeth in would be like gum disease and gingivitis, periodontitis, those kinds of things. Um, a lot of times when I see them, I see that plus plus the ones who, you know, maybe need a little extra TLC. What's your bread and butter? Like what a, so this is a case that I see on like a daily basis or maybe a week. Uh, will it be more like uh, gingivitis or cavity? Hey, hey, I'm sure she sees all sorts of kids, not yeah, just bread no, no. <laughs> I see what uh, you did there. Not gingivitis, <laughs> gingivitis. Okay. All right. Although there are some interesting things about redheads. Apparently they have a higher tolerance pain, for pain, yeah. but also, yeah, are harder to get numb as well. And yeah, they metabolize anesthesia faster. I've heard this as well. <laughs> I guess my bread and butter, I mean, I see cavities day in, day out. Okay. Cavities are the number one infectious disease. A lot of times pediatricians don't quite understand the severity of dental caries or cavities until you say that it's five times as more prevalent than asthma. That's actually quite a statistic. Unfortunately, most of it, though, is more prevalent in our, you know, lower income socioeconomic, you know, society. Sure. Absolutely. Um, A lot of people think that, you know, dentistry is the rich person's healthcare. (laughs) That's actually what I like about pediatrics, though, about pediatric dentistry is I always feel like, you know, 
when you're doing dentistry for adults, it's always, oh, just fix this. I know I have all these other problems. Just do this one thing. Or, you know, like, yes, I know that side of tooth is, is bad, but can you fix this side of the tooth? So it feels like Patrick. Oh, okay, gotcha. Just get me through. Get me, get me past. Get me, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Like, I'm fine. I've been living with it for years. Sure. I'm fine. But with kids, I feel like, you know, you tell them this is this is the problem. Um, you're building their habits and you're you're being that that mentor for them. But it's also when you tell the parents about it, you know, they could care less about themselves. But when it comes to their kids, most people want to do right. You know, you know, you talk to us about special care, you know, special needs kids and taking care of them, especially mm-hmm. when they have anxiety. And, you know, we, we've got, of course, you know, talk therapy and we do our things as pediatricians, you and I, about holding hands. But can you talk to us a little bit about the drugs? <laughs> I can tell you how to children. Special considerations in pediatric anesthesia and pediatric dental anesthesia. As a pediatric dentist, like I said, you go through an anesthesia rotation. So we do get to learn a little more about about the drugs. We have different things at our disposal. So I will say, you know, I'm going to caveat this with everyone has their different perspectives on this. In California, where I did my pediatric residency, I find that oral contrasedation is done a lot more then here where I'm at right now, I feel like it's either you're doing it in the chair or, you know, you're having an anesthesiologist come or you're going to, you're, you're being knocked out completely. Personally, I find I, I was pretty well trained in conscious sedation. So where you, you take a little bit of medication, you drink a little bit, you're a little bit, I would say, drunk. <laughs> By you, <laughs> you mean your patient, uh, Wendy? <laughs> Wendy, I believe you call the program Shots for Tots. <laughs> we actually never use the S word. Oh, that's, we don't use the S word. No shots, no needles. But I'm, I, I just want to clarify for our audience that this isn't like a one for you, one for me type of situation. <laughs> yeah, no, that was completely humorous. Um, that being said, you know, I don't offer it lightly and I don't do it often. Our everyday treatments, like in the office uh, that I'm at right now, is mostly doing treatment in the chair, which is pretty is pretty nice, you know. So we do nitrous pretty readily. I mean, nitrous is is relatively quite safe. Um, other things such as you know sedations, other drugs on board, other things to get you past your anxiety. Um, but when we really get down to having them completely out general anesthesia, we actually have an anesthesiologist come in. Yeah. In the office. Obviously, that's up to the anesthesiologist and mine and the pediatrician's discretion where we say that this child is safe enough to be able to do that. It's interesting because people don't always assume that anesthesiologists and dentists would overlap that much. Mm-hmm. But it happens more than you would expect. Now, I don't do a lot of dentistry in my day-to-day stuff, but when we do, it's almost exclusively for either children or some adults with special needs. It's definitely present the unique challenges. Usually when we are involved, we almost always end up intubating the patients before the procedure starts. I'm guessing that's not something that you would necessarily do in the office. Like, do you guys have anesthesia machines over there? 
We do. Again, I mean, we do that if if the patient needs to be under general anesthesia. The anesthesiologist oh. actually bring all of this. Start off with either some Versed or um, sometimes some ketamine. And then from there, it'll go to like nitrous, then, you know, then your uh, anesthesia gases. All those different avenues. So there's IV sedation, there is nasal intubations. So when we do our anesthesia rotation, at a certain point, they're kind of, they give us a little bit of leave to be the anesthesiologist for, you know, a couple, obviously, truly simple cases, <laughs> you know, because sometimes we would see kids with like um, EB, which is basically syndrome, I suppose, or disease. Basically, the skin just pretty much sloughs off. Yeah, and so they're tiny, tiny, tiny kids. And in order to do treatment for them, I mean, to to intubate itself already is is hard. You know, it's scary because just doing that in itself, you can create bleeding and, and lacerations and all that, and and internally, which can be very dangerous. Yeah. So seeing things like that, we had to see them in the hospital. You know, at the major hospital. Yeah. Take me through some of the basic terms here. I know we have a bunch of teeth in our head. I don't actually remember the number or what they're called or what their purposes are. No, I, I just have to put this in because Dimitri Martin, who's a great comedian, was just on Stephen Colbert, Josh. And so he said, and I will remember this joke and the number of teeth forever because he said, the more pets you have, the crazier you are. So one is good for you're starting to ask for help 32 you're crazy and this is very interesting because it's complete it's exactly yeah. inverse to teeth if you have 32 you're fine <laughs> if you have four <laughs> you're starting to ask for help and then one so it was like the best mnemonic device yeah. ever so unless he was wrong about it is it 32 with adult teeth it's okay. 32 obviously there's give and takes so 32 is kind of a nice number to go by for kids you generally have 20 teeth so usually kids start teething around six months to one year and so that's typically when we want to see kids and usually have them establish their dental home by about uh, 12 months of age so we used to be like three four or five years old but studies have shown that when kids come in at that time, it's too late. Sorry, I just, I can't get off of dental home because I was imagining like a house full of mismated teeth. <laughs> this is my home and this is my dental home. <laughs> yeah, it was a term coined. I don't know when exactly it was uh, yeah. coined, but it, it basically means it's a place for you to be able to call home for all your, all you have a place to go to when you have any sort of question or cleanings or just checkups. And just, sadly enough, it was made a term because many people don't have that. A lot of people don't have the place to go to be able to get that checkup or to have a question answered. Part of that's an insurance thing. Part of that's a people have, are, have busy lives thing. And, and then part of it also is people just not necessarily thinking that dentistry is all that yeah. important, which yeah. hurts my heart. So you kind of, yeah, yeah. You want to avoid people choosing yeah. dental homelessness. <laughs> Correct. Um, constantly, a lot, we get that question of, but they're baby teeth. Why do I Yeah, they're going to be gone anyway. You know, I have my phrases that I use, and one of them is baby teeth, but I actually call them baby teen teeth, because you're actually going to have them into your right. teens as well, too. Like, the number one reason that kids will miss school is 
um, for a health reason and for and dentistry being one of the one of the larger reasons. The things that you are eating with, it's, it's the things that you're smiling with, talking. I find the mouth to be the window to the, your health. If you are taking care of your teeth, chances are you're taking care of, of pretty much everything else. Yeah. In dental school, we had a homeless dental clinic. We helped to start up, um, it was called Goldie's Place. They basically were helping homeless people to get off the streets and get started. Without having a dental clinic there, a lot of times people, they have the training and they have the clothes and then they're going in for their interviews and um, they're just not getting them because they don't look the part. And I'm glad you bring that yeah, up absolutely. because one of the the terms I learned in my research, I was hoping you could confirm or deny for me, is that we do place a lot of importance on having that you know big Hollywood smile. And we certainly have all been guilty of making value judgments on people who are missing a tooth or two in key locations, as Dimitri yeah. Martin so eloquently put. Uh, now, I I know teeth have their own different kinds of names, incisors and canines and molars and wisdom, but I've heard that the teeth you are most concerned about losing are the ones right in the front, the top front six teeth, mm -hmm. which are, like any good set of adventuring heroes, have their own nickname. They're called the Social Six. Nice. <laughs> Sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's the prequel to the hateful eight. Right? The two gang. The two things. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a horror movie. The two <laughs> I personally have not had that heard that term, but it is definitely something that that people are very concerned about. I feel like in American culture, you know, I've heard some terms like I hear milk teeth, I hear baby teeth. Eye tooth is like your canine, which is the, I call them your the ones on the sides. They call them eye teeth because they're like, Below your eyes, you know, yeah. The eyes and all that. So yeah, eye teeth. That's why they're called eye teeth? That's, that's such a cop-out. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. Um, <laughs> and then, mm -hmm. so, you know, there are different terms that are out there. I think I feel like I hear it more in other cultures, though. Um, for that reason, actually, a lot of times... You know, people are most concerned about their front, upper front teeth. So much so that we actually will do kitty partials, which is like partial means we're replacing a tooth or two. So it's something, it's like purely aesthetics. We are trained to do some of those teeth as last treatment needs. You know, people find that if you do that and you do the front ones first, sometimes patients don't come back for the rest of it. And so a lot of times we'll do those. Make sure they come back to take care of the vanity teeth after you've taken care of the important <laughs> ones. It's a lot more sensitive when you're doing that, that sleepy juice, though. That, yeah. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, even the kids who can spell a lot of times. S-H-O-T, what? <laughs> Bam! Oh! <laughs> no. Now, I know one of the things that dentists certainly give sleepy juice for wendy aside from fun <laughs> tooth extractions so let's talk about how the tooth fairy is really employed oh, uh, do, do you extract teeth is this the whole like the mall santa thing like they're they know santa but they're not really santa the one i always picture is if you've ever watched uh, uh -huh. family guy and the tooth fairy scene mm -hmm. oh yeah just look it up <laughs> That's what I picture. 
So let's talk about how is this tooth fairy really employed? Uh, do you extract teeth? And when you do, what do you do with them? <laughs> um, I most definitely extract teeth. Typically, it's the baby teeth. Sometimes we do take out permanent teeth as well, unfortunately. But they're not very permanent then, are they? <laughs> Taking out a baby tooth, um, I'm pretty happy that they are much easier to take out mm -hmm. than permanent teeth. Wiggle, wiggle, gone. <laughs> it definitely happens. I wouldn't say like all the time, but it, it definitely happens. Uh, it's not a rare occasion, unfortunately. And when it does happen, kids are spurned along by thought of a tooth fairy. We often ask them, you know, like, oh, because a lot of times, especially when they're changing teeth too, like parents are always like, oh, they're so excited and they can't wait for their teeth to come out. And a lot of times the kids will be like, oh yeah, this tooth is wiggly. And they're like three years old. You're like, actually, yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, they saw their, their big brother got, you know, money from the tooth fairy. So... Now they want their tooth out. Um, so, you know, I have to be careful because I hope none of my patients or my little patients are listening to this. I hope not either, Wendy, because it sounds like what you have here is a role model telling kids, teaching them how to sell their body for money. Uh, yeah. That's definitely not the case. If you're not passing along teeth to the tooth fairy, are you grinding them up? Are you using them in magic spells? Are you planting them? What, what happens? Sometimes we will give them back, and this kind of depends on the office as well it will not give teeth back that have decay on them it's considered biohazard and it goes into that little red bag in here um, uh it the, the coolest thing happens to all that stuff which is incineration that's what i figured <laughs> yeah. um, you'd be surprised how many people ask for their like remove surgically removed body parts imagine teeth are you kidding me Cross? are you serious dude yeah no people like well, come to me after surgery and be like, hey, can I keep my appendix? Can give me back the mirror that you're replacing? I, I guess so. I mean, I think that they can, well, I don't know in the hospital. I don't know what they do. But for kids in general, like if it's a baby tooth, in most cases, we will give it to the kids. If it's an extraction for like braces or something, or even another reason, like sometimes people will ask for the tooth and if they, you know, if they want it, we give it to them. We always clean it off first. So it too crazy. <laughs> In dental school, we actually will collect those teeth because um, in dental school, we will actually practice on extracted teeth. That was one of my things when I moved from California to Chicago. So when I was doing my dental school training, before we started dental school, they're like, bring extracted teeth, as many as you can. Um, oh. teeth, as many as you can. That is a very vague direction. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so we would go and talk to the oral surgeons and the pediatric dentists and the orthodontists and stuff. And we will ask them, you know, can I put a jar in your office um, with my name on it and some bleach and stuff? And um, or they usually tell you what to put in the jars. So whether it's bleach or whatever, can I leave this at your office and all the teeth that you take out, just throw it in there. That made that that flight from... <laughs> from LA to Chicago, very interesting. Did TSA uh, find it? The giant bucket? Yeah, well you have to have, so the school will actually write a letter for you, or I, I can't remember if they write a letter for me. Or if I this is letter, just I awesome. I had a hard yeah, enough time getting my stethoscope through. <laughs> oh, you know, I think it's much worse when you have a giant jar full of... <laughs> it's fine though, I put it a box 
and I had it labeled, you know, dental letter in there in case they opened it. I can't remember if they actually did. I do remember when I was taking anatomy, though, I was flying back home and I needed to study for anatomy, so I tried to bring my skull with me. Oh, nice. Um, and what is this? Nothing suspicious, if that's what you're asking. Nothing yeah. It's a real skull. Like, these things are not... Your story of a tooth bucket yeah. uh, or necklace <laughs> reminds me. Are you familiar with Painless Parker? I am not. Do tell. Edgar R.R. Painless Parker was a dentist who practiced around oh, 100 years ago, like early, early 1900s. And he, this was again during a time when, after the great <laughs> rebuff that we talked about, and Parker set himself up as a dentist in practice with a traveling roadshow. Like after six weeks, he said, I'm a dentist. Six weeks later, hadn't had any patients, and he decided to advertise. Now, this is where it oh, gets no. crazy. He hired one of P.T. Barnum's ex-managers to help him take his dental practice on the road and created the Parker Dude. Dental Circus. Oh, that's awesome. Circus. <laughs> dental Circus. After he set up his traveling medicine show, and that's how I first found it. I always like to Google travel medicine and see what comes up. It's still us, but this one snuck its way into the Google results. He set up a travel medicine show, and he had his dental chair on a horse-drawn wagon followed by a band. The band would attract very large crowds, but also hid the moans and cries of patients who were really only given whiskey or cocaine in a solution to numb their pain. He charged... 50 cents for a tooth extraction, and he promised that if it hurt, he would pay the patient $5. He had to legally change his name to Painless when he was accused of breaking a false advertising law saying that his dentistry was the only painless dentistry around. So when they're like, no, you're giving people shots of whiskey that's not painless, he's like, well, my name is Painless. So Painless Dentistry. His biggest claim... He had pulled 357 teeth in one day, had them strung as a necklace that he wore around his head, that he wore around his neck, and had a bucket of teeth that he'd extracted that he brought with him when he lectured on dental hygiene, which is maybe where wow. your tradition comes from, Wendy. <laughs> Now, just in case you guys think I'm lying about this, that bucket of teeth can still be seen today at Temple University's Whoa. Dental History Museum. <laughs> That's absolutely awesome. You know, I am I am shocked and amused to find out that you traveled to Chicago <laughs> with a suitcase full of teeth. <laughs> to be fair, at least you didn't change your name. I was going to say, unfortunately, I guess I needed to. Do you? Are you always bring enough? Or you know, do you ever have to you know, do you ever have to engage in any incisor trading? Well played. <laughs> we do, we do, we trade. Uh, well, so there are always those of us who have brought a little more, some a little less. We actually use them mainly <laughs> for learning how to do our root canals. We will actually take these teeth. We will take X-rays of our teeth and find the perfect ones. Bury them, not what? bury them. <laughs> we have these. Forms. These, uh, we call them dentiforms, but it's kind of like a simulation of a jaw. Oh, and then like you, a mold or a cast. Use, yeah, so we use wax to hold the tooth um, over that mold, and we pour rock into into that little ditch, um, which kind of simulates the okay. um, the jawbone. And we actually will mount those into mannequins, and we do them as if we're doing real... No, well, they are real teeth, so we're doing real dentistry. This is you're, so you're a little bit of like a sculptor artist. 
Yeah, totally. I, I love being crafty. And I think that's kind of how and why I got into dentistry. I actually wanted to open a bar restaurant before oh. uh, when I first graduated okay. <laughs> from UCLA. And my parents were like, um, and then so they they were like, maybe you should look into, you know, optometry or medical school or something, you know, or dentistry. And I was like, I know I didn't want to go into the medical field because I just, I never wanted to have the burden of being able to tell someone, you know, I, because, you know, something didn't work out and you're, you know, your family members not waking yeah, up, you know. Although I say that and, you know, I do patients <laughs> too, but like, it, it's good to think those chances are oh, much, yeah. much more slim, right? But anyway, so like, I knew I didn't want to do the medical field, but I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check out dentistry. I'll check out that field. So I did my master's in oral biology, which was in the same um, building as the dental building. So I got to take classes with the dental students and I loved it. I really, I truly enjoyed it. I liked that you got to do science along with talking to people. So you're not sitting behind a desk. You get to do crafty, artsy things. You get to, you know, take out decay and then rebuild a tooth and make it look like it originally did uh, or even better. You know, I at the time was also I had a friend that um, taught me how to make jewelry. And so I was making jewelry at the time, too. And all through dental school, I actually sold jewelry to some of my attendings and I sold that. Awesome for great. Uh, I even brought some when I first interviewed at, at my dental school too, um, just to be like, hey, look what I did. It's funny because they asked me one of their questions was, what would you do if we solved all of, you know, the what happens for why people get cavities and people no longer got cavities, what would you do? You know, and I was like, well I'd probably make jewelry, you know. Well, you didn't tell them about um, the bar. But what I love about it is like, is putting things together and being artsy with it, you know? Um, and I think that's kind of the theme of, of most dentists is that they like pretty things and putting things together and making it pretty. And dealing with people, I found that, you know, pediatric dentistry isn't so much about being someone who absolutely loves kids. And don't get me wrong, I, I do, I, I, you know, I adore kids. You have the person who goes in and, and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I love kids. Kids are the best thing ever. And you work with them and you and you have a kid who comes in and literally is walking yeah. in the door crying. You know what I mean? And for and, and this is for, you know, no reason. Like, you know, when you see kids as young as I do, you know, you can yeah. ask them to take their jacket off and they'll cry. You know, you're dealing with kids who are kids. And so if you are the type of person who like absolutely loves kids and, you know, will do you know, it's actually the wrong field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, pediatric dentistry, it taught me not just how to deal with kids, but it taught me how to deal with, with you know, adults as well. Um, I find that, you know, now I have more patience for kids than I do for adults sometimes. But because, you know, you always think, like, I just had this kid who was just fine over yeah. there, you know? Like, you can do it, you know? Um, but it's also the fact that, it was because you have these kids who can go through and see you and know that coming to the dentist is okay, that now that they are an adult and they can do it too. Okay, Wendy, real talk, flossing. Real talk, <laughs> Oh, flossing. here we go. There's a recently released meta-analysis, which you probably read about 
that yeah. that said that seemed to imply in a broad sense that flossing did not confer the benefits on gingival health that had been conventionally thought of for the past 50 or so years. Comments, Dr. Wendy. <laughs> okay, so first of all, this article, it was its conclusion was actually that there are no studies that actually show that flossing is beneficial, right? So it's not saying that yeah. it is not beneficial. It's just saying yeah. that there haven't actually been studies. This is a hard thing to study. And that's the thing is that there aren't many studies out there that dealt with it. But there was actually one study that did show they had kids at a school and they had some kids who didn't floss. They had some kids who flossed at home on their own. And then they had some kids who every day came in and was flossed by a dental professional. And they showed that the kids who had, who were being flossed by the dental professional showed 40% less dental caries or so less cavities, less prevalence of cavities. That in itself to me shows that flossing does help, but it's also showing you that if you do it right is when it helps. You can think of it like having a parachute when you're going skydiving. There's no studies that show that if you don't have a parachute when you jump out of a plane, <laughs> that you're not going to make it. Who's going to do that study? Who are you going to get to jump out of a plane without a parachute to show that you don't survive? But logic tells you... If Congress you people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Just due to the sheer development of the way your teeth are formed and how they are um, lined up in your mouth, you have this little space in between and your toothbrush bristles just will not get to that space and unfortunately bacteria and food does and so how are you going to remove that and there's no other way except for floss and so um, that is something that the reason that we can't show kind of in terms of like statistical data how much it benefits is because we really can't create a good control sample it would be really tough to set up that kind of control sample as you said to tell people not to floss so the preponderance of evidence is floss so everyone go floss right now even while you're listening you can leave your earbuds in and floss correctly mm -hmm. all right now every tv show i have ever watched indicates that should I ever be killed in a horribly gruesome accident or decide to fake oh. my death for entirely non-suspicious reasons, that my body can be identified by its dental records? <laughs> Discuss. All right. Um, yes and no. I mean, so just like what we were talking about earlier, I mean, you have this average thing of this is what the normal mouth looks like, you know? So you take an x-ray, you see teeth, you see the mouth. That being said, there are many different things that go into that space. Bone shape, bone development. You have nerves and that you see, like the entrances in your bone where those nerves go and the blood vessels that you can see, you know, in relation to where the teeth are. It would be very hard pressed to be another person exactly like that. So to have all those things be exactly the same and someone else is just very, very slim. So have the exact same filling, the exact same of shape of that filling, 
part of the tooth that was missing or you had a cavity here and now you, you know so that's the kind of thing that makes it something chances are that this person would be you hopefully not you josh <laughs> but um <laughs> you find a dead body you know and and you have their dental records and it's i have no reason for asking that just idle curiosity <laughs> Uh, but moving along, when you decide to do dental x-rays and you give us the tiny little lead diaper and then immediately run out of the room. Hopefully not a diaper. How? Well, look, I'm, maybe it's just my dentist. I can't say. But how dangerous or how much radiation are we really receiving with these with these x-rays? Like, you know, it's clearly enough that you don't want to be in there, but... <laughs> I mean, the main reason for us not being in there is the sheer fact that we're getting that over and over and over if we were to be in there. And so we have in dentistry, which actually I'm sure through all the medical field, we have something that's called ALARA, which is as low as reasonably um, accepted. I don't know. I can't even think what A stands for now, but it's basically as low as reasonably possible, right? So you're taking these x-rays only when you need them. The more, the higher your cavity risk is the more x-rays you are going to be getting. And that's because the ones that we take are in order for us to, to check and evaluate your disease. Do they teach you, or at what point in school do they teach you to wait until all your tools are in a patient's <laughs> mouth before asking questions This is the equivalent, by the way, of how, um, like, what's the class in medical school that we take to like make the patient wait in the waiting room? You know, I think it kind of goes to that, that idea that dentists are, you know, certainly charismatic people. And in that sense, <laughs> we like to talk a lot. <laughs> and unfortunately we're in a situation where not everyone in the room gets to talk, at, you know, at that exactly at that moment. Um, but we forget that because we're just very social people usually. And so we do a lot of the talking and uh, ask a lot of questions. But I do have to say a lot of times people will say things even with stuff in their mouth. And I can usually understand. Every once in a while, there are times that I can't understand. And I'm like, you know, we're almost done. It's really hard to understand you with all that stuff. <laughs> and I'm about to take that all out. So just give me a second, you know. But, um, but in most cases, I can usually understand Pretty well, actually, which is kind of nice. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys watched the Kentucky Derby, but it did just recently end, and the 2017 winner was the horse Always Dreaming. Held off a late charge from Looking at Lee and Battle of Midway. And we can tell a horse's age by looking at their teeth, and I will you know, teach you guys how to do that if you don't already know, but... Can you learn, what sort of things can you learn about humans just by looking at their mouths? What, what sort of info are you getting about people from looking at their teeth? Um, you can actually learn something about their age. For example, now if a kid smiles, I can kind of guess their age. Again, basically on, on the idea of you have this average timing of when teeth come in and go out. And so if a kid smiles and they have certain teeth, then I can kind of guess their age from that. There are also, uh, when teeth first come in, they have these little notches on them. They're called mammalons. Um, you'll notice that when teeth first, teeth first come in, they look like little toes almost. 
There you go. Uh, yeah. Once more, yeah. That man's not going to be sleeping Perfect. for the next two months. <laughs> I remember when I was I was making a I was rebuilding someone's front tooth, working with someone who does prost, which is basically prosthodontic. They're basically the ones who are the super super artistic people. They're the specialists that will do your dentures and your porcelain crowns, and they will look absolutely amazing, like to the color, to the T kind of thing. I was taught by one of the prosthodontists that if you wanted them to look a little younger, you will actually build in those little, those little bumps onto their tooth to make them look a little younger. Because as you get older, you'll find that your teeth are more, more shovel shaped, or they're more the shape where your okay. edges are straight and flat. And that's because you've just worn away on those areas so much that you no longer have the mammalons anymore. And so a sign of, of someone being young is actually having those things there. And so now when we have a kid who comes in with trauma and I need to rebuild that tooth, I actually do, you know, I'll add it in to make the other tooth. You notch them. Exactly. Every once in a while you have the parent who's like, wait, Little. I thought you were gonna rebuild yeah. it. And they're like, why is it not straight? You know? yeah. like, I am an artiste. You know? Do not question. No. <laughs> Michelangelo, why do you I, I would love, I would love to see Doctor Wendy, and the the parrot comes in here. Excuse me, Doctor, uh, but this tooth. Why did you put these? Two? And she just slams the instrument down. <laughs> da Vinci never had such credit. <laughs> you throw on your beret and a scarf and like whoosh out of the room. <laughs> now, one of the things we love to ask all our guests, Wendy, is in addition to talking about medicine, we also love to talk about travel and all the places that both we and our guests have been. So can you give us your favorite travel location or experience or story, whether or not it relates dentistry i've been kind of all over and yet i still feel like there's always more places i want to go and do things i've done several you know dental trips and i i definitely plan on doing more of those in the future as well important to me preventive dentistry so well i guess so one of these things is like traveling abroad and and doing mission trips, oftentimes you have people, and in the end, they're like, we did such a great job. We extracted, you know, a thousand teeth today. It was amazing, you know, and people are like, yeah, awesome. We saw that many people, you know, um, but a lot of it is, is actually kind of sad if you think about it, because really what, what I think would be more or what should be more applauded is if we could say, oh, oh yeah. we saved this many teeth today, you know. Um, um, one of the places I really loved was was Roatan, Honduras, and I did some of my research out there on the idea of fluoride applications, so fluoride varnish applications, given kind of like how a vaccine is done. Okay. It was the little, little island off of off of Honduras. The first time we went, we stayed on the side that's uh, less inhabited so it was everything there was very sustainable and eco-friendly and we learned a lot about lionfish <laughs> which is not native to that area but was brought in and is like taking over that area which is funny because now i see pictures of lionfish everywhere that i go 
but I loved it. I got to, you know, I almost got to learn how to shoot a, uh, like a harpoon gun in the water. <laughs> I did not get to, but I wanted to. They had like a class, a training on that, but uh, I did not get to take that. I wasn't there at that time. So anyway, but yeah, I loved it. Honduras is great, beautiful. So go check it out. <laughs> That, I think, brings us to the end of this particular episode. Well, thank you so much, Wendy, for joining us. And I think that about wraps it up. So until next time, as always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, on Squarespace, on Twitter, on Patreon, anywhere podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear your reviews, your ratings, and we would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Included in the show notes are a whole bunch of places you can do that. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me. Yeah. <laughs> With me help. <laughs> With a lot of help from all my co-hosts and those of you who submit stories. Thank you very much. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.